Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Peach Planet Podcast. I am Jason Pye, joined by my okay friends, Buzz Brockway and Scott Turner. Guys, good to see you. Howdy. What did what did we do to drop down from some of my closest friends in the world to okay friends? I, I just wanted to make sure <laughs> what changed. I, well, I just wanted to make sure you guys weren't getting too cocky on my, you know, thinking you were well, real high up on my friends list. Fair you know, enough. Uh, you're not. You, I mean, if, if this were MySpace, you'd be in my top eight. But you know, <laughs> but not necessarily. Let's not pretend. Let's not pretend you have a friends list. I mean, I have, I have more friends than I realized I had, but I mean, you know, it, it's, it, yeah. Anyway, so big news that happened, I guess, over the weekend, we, Peach Pundit has a new owner. That's right, my friends, the Tana Lanch media conspiracy that has existed since <laughs> 2007 has, has come to a close. Our previous owner, Clayton Wager, has transferred ownership of Peach Pundit to our the one and only, our good friend, okay friend, Scott Turner. Scott, congratulations. Okay, thank you. No, I, I, it's a huge honor, right? I mean, we have to take a second to recognize, I think, the work of people who have made Peach Pundit into the brand that it is. And I made a post where I, I, I talked about gratitude and really recognizing the people who came before us. And Clayton and Eric Erickson decided to start this thing sort of like on a spur of the moment outlet for their creativity that was sort of being stifled when they were at Red State together. And that evolved into Peach Pundit. And they, they allowed others to kind of be stewards of it through the years. And then, you know, and we have to talk about Charlie Harper for a second because he really made Peach Pundit more than a blog. He really created a community and yep. had events outside of the blog and, it created relationships and influence. And so we have to recognize that Charlie did a lot of the work to create the brand. So I'm grateful for that work. John Richards, who was also editor in chief after Charlie kind of delegated a lot of those responsibilities. John was a very affable man who, he was an older guy who took a very a strong interest in cultivating young conservatives and giving them opportunities. And he was a fixture at the Capitol during my time in the house and he was one of the most trusted members of the media he really genuinely cared about making sure that your perspective regardless of whether or not he agreed with you was represented fairly and that's something i'd like to try to emulate as much as possible i might disagree with you too but i want to make sure that you're heard and let the people decide things i think that's fair rest in peace john right rest in peace to john but something broke between the founders the original creators of peach pundit and that crew and I don't know all the story, and I don't really want to know. I really don't care, to be honest. It broke. And they went off, and they started GeorgiaPoll.com, and they're still going today, and I wish them nothing but the best. And I still read their stuff, and I would encourage you to as well because I want our audience to be as informed as possible. And they have a, a different perspective than us. They have a, a diverse roster of contributors over there, Democrats, independents, Republicans. We're, we're, we have a little bit of independence. We don't really have much Democrat influence here we have a very strong republican presence in our on our roster all that to say looking forward to the next chapter and taking this journey alongside you we've done the paperwork to incorporate peach pundit <laughs> under a different a different name and <laughs> we're going to do some things i think that will kind of excite the the old base of readers right we're going to change the layout 
we're going to continue this podcast, which continues to grow in popularity. And the important thing to know is that right now, Peach Pundit doesn't have the largest audience, but it has the right audience. I can't go 100 feet walking to the Capitol without somebody stopping me about something that was written or said on Peach Pundit. <laughs> so to that audience, thank you for sticking with us through these years. Yep. And we're going to continue to do this work. So thank you to Clayton and Eric, specifically Clayton, for honoring me with the gift of Peach Pundit, which is worth zero dollars for the IRS purposes. Here, so. <laughs> this is factually accurate. Yeah, it's, it is. It is worth zero dollars. But no, I mean, I mean, I, I've been a contributor. I, I think, I think, Buzz, you've been a contributor to Peach Pundit since two thousand five. Yeah, it was when you, when you the, started. Yeah, a few months after Eric started it, he, we were emailing back and forth, and he said, "Hey, do you want to blog at this new blog we started?" I said, sure. So. There we were. Yeah, and and I, I, I started in 2006, and yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say we wouldn't be here right now, and I said this when I became editor-in-chief. We would not be here right now if not for Jason. Jason yep. is what rekindled, is the person who rekindled Peach Punnett because it, it kind of weathered on the vine for a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was Jason's effort to get this started again, that brought us all together and brought us to where we are today. No, I mean, the first, per- the first two people I reached out to when Clayton and I had our conversation, God, this would have been pre, no, it was not pre pandemic. It was, it was during the, it was during the early, like the summer, the pandemic started. And when we first, when we first broached the topic and the first two people I reached out to were you two clowns. And I remember Scott, <laughs> Scott was like, yes, I'm, yes, I'm in. And Buzz was like, eh, may, may, maybe, maybe, you know. Yeah, I leapt at the opportunity. And you, you guys reeled me back in. Yeah, no. Then, unfortunately, you know, my my decision to both A, get, well, A, get divorced and B, move to Northern Virginia sort of changed my trajectory in terms of my involvement but you know scott's graciously allowed me to stay on and continue to to do the podcast as well as to basically give you a perspective outside of dc the problem is there hasn't been much of a perspective outside of dc because nothing's really happening in dc right now except for a continuing resolution so i have i have plenty of story ideas i should probably write about but no, uh, congrats, Scott, and, and you know you've you you're doing great work. I mean, just not just what you do on the podcast, but you know what you do professionally, all that stuff. And I was actually yeah. able to help. I was actually Buzz. I don't know if you know this. I was able to help contribute to Scott, not financially, but con- making connections for him earlier this week. So I was very happy to do awesome. that. So yeah, yep, yeah. So congrats, we, you know the, the organization that that both Buzz and Jason are board members on is the five hundred one C four that was created last year for me to continue working on the issues that we're passionate about. All of us are passionate about. And one of the issues, you know, we, we have funded projects that we're working on. We've spoken a little bit about some of those, but it also affords us an opportunity as a nonprofit to pick up pro bono work. And we became aware of the problem with cold case murders in Georgia and how many of them there are and how families are frustrated with the lack of justice and then how families perceive justice differently as the years go by and and they really want answers. They really want to know what everybody else knows and they're shut out of that process a lot of times. So we've been working on some legislation that's modeled after something a Democrat representative Swalwell's office has agreed to meet with us because we're, we're going to model some of the national legislation that 
has just recently been signed into law on a bipartisan basis. So we're Jason set that up for us when we're in D.C. next week. So very excited about that work. It is it's very fulfilling. Also, something that wouldn't have happened without Jason Pye in my life. So big gratitude. Yeah, I still hate you though. But no. So moving from congratulations, <laughs> moving from congratulations to condolences, our understanding. And I, I think I did see something up because I'm friends with Lieutenant Governor Duncan on Facebook. He he had a, a loss this week in his family, and and as someone who has lost a parent, it's pretty. I lost my. For those of you who don't know, I lost my father at the age of twelve. It sucks. It's it. No, I don't care how old you are when you lose a parent. The the sense of grief and and loss, and especially. Uh, it's 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 really tough and but so my understanding is lieutenant governor duncan lost his mother earlier earlier or last week so we just want to take a moment to ex- yeah take our a moment to express our condolences so buzz go ahead yeah i mean jeff as y'all know is a good friend i'm on the board of his gop 2.0 effort and yeah i mean i got the news like everybody else via via Facebook and went over and paid my respects last night. And uh, yeah, keep, keep the Duncan family in your prayers. Uh, Jeff's father, you know, as well, as well as Jeff and his sister and all their, their spouses and children. This hit him pretty hard. She was by all accounts, a, an incredibly important figure in all of their lives. So just keep that family in your prayers. Scott. I haven't lost a parent. The closest thing I have to that is losing my grandfather, who was sort of like my dad. I can only imagine you know, I do know this about Jeff Duncan is that he was close with his parents. Yep. You know, I, I, he often, you would often see Jeff's father with him at public events. And yep. I, I think I've met his mother on one occasion. They they were very supportive of Jeff, obviously, throughout his life. They were yep. proud of their son and what he's been able to accomplish. And they were very close. And so I'm just, I, I texted Jeff to let him know I'm praying for him and lifting yep. him up. And may the Lord have comfort to him and his family during this time. Yep. So we have uh, we have plenty to discuss this week, and I, you know it's it's been it's been a slower week, even despite the fact that we're in an election cycle. It's been a slower week the past the past several days. But the, before we jump into the regular politics discussion, speaking of Lieutenant Governor Duncan, he is rumored. I don't know why he would want this job, but he is rumored to be a candidate for athletic director at Georgia Tech. For those of you who have not heard, Georgia Tech cleaned a little bit of house this past week, firing both its attorney, its athletic director, and its head football coach. Who Buzz? I'm just, I'm just. For those of you who can't see Buzz right now because we don't do video anymore, Buzz is wearing a Georgia Tech shirt. Is it a jet? Is it a sweater or a sweatshirt or is it a shirt? Shirt. It's a shirt. I'm surprised you don't have a paper bag on your face as well over your head, like because you guys suck. Well, um, and you're gonna suck for the rest of this year, and then you got two, at least one year, probably two to three years of rebuilding with a new coach. No man, Coach Primetime, Deion Sanders is gonna come and save the day, and we will we will be national champions within three years. That's what's gonna happen. I read it on the internet, so it must be true. Rumor is he's gonna go to Auburn. That's the that's the the wishful thinking online. Nah, he's going to bring his son and, and that five-star defensive back that he snatched away from Collins Hill high school. They're, they're coming to Atlanta and prime time is going to rule the city once again. Well, a lot of people forget, a lot of people forget that Jeff Duncan was a, was a, was a minor league baseball player. He played a college ball at Georgia tech. He, he pitched in the minors, never made it to the major league baseball, but he does have an athletic background. Do you, do you buy this buzz or no? So, well, I guess so. All right. So the rumor is, and uh, th- this is kind of funny, I guess, Scott, you, maybe Scott, maybe we should start with Scott because that's, 
he's uh, a a a, per, a recipient of the rumor and a purveyor of the rumor. So all right. Well, uh, if I don't, I have a purveying as in asking you if you heard the rumor, you know, because it was a booster who contacted me and said, "Hey, what's Jeff Duncan doing these days?" And I said, "Well, he just lost his mom," and he and that booster said, "Yeah, I read about that, but did you know he's?" up for this job and i was like wait what so i went to buzz and asked buzz hey have you heard if jeff is in you know and and buzz appropriately said well he's mourning his mom right now that's kind of weird <laughs> right. i'm not gonna ask him so so that that's how the rumor came to me it came through a booster at georgia tech so i'm i'm uh, i have not I have not talked to Jeff Duncan about this. I am not going to talk to Jeff Duncan about this. As I mentioned, I'm on the board of his group, but he doesn't discuss. He doesn't discuss, you know, all his life decisions with me. So I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call him anytime soon about this. But look, there there are, as Scott mentioned, I, I I do know people. I have not talked to anybody in the tech administration about this. Any employee of Georgia Tech about any of this. But the uh, the chatter from some people in the know is that there there are i guess we should say there are a group of boosters as scott encountered who want this to happen does jeff want the job i have no idea does you know what does the tech administration you know dr cabrera who's going to be hiring this what does he think no idea so this is you know we've we've reached the you know this is this is what happens in, in college football right the message boards light up and names are thrown out, but there are th- th- this is there are powerful people, powerful boosters who want this to happen. Do they always get what they want? No, but we'll we'll see. You know who knows. Well, I I feel first and foremost, if the rumor about Deion Sanders is true, that that would be a huge get for Georgia Tech just from a recruiting standpoint, because he is a dynamic, charismatic individual. I felt like Florida State really missed an opportunity to bring him back mm-hmm. when there was an opening and they chose not to pick him up because he lives and breathes college football and he yeah. loves mentoring young men and he can do it in a way that's really compelling. So I, I think that would be a get. But I also want to mention just really quickly, is it required that you have a degree to be AD or in the administration in that capacity? Because Jeff left mm-hmm. early and he never went back to finish yeah. his degree because really once you become successful why do you need the degree he got drafted yeah. by the marlins he made it all the way to triple a you know you know the two out of the three of us here don't have degrees and we're still operating successfully within this sphere and and folks should know jeff was on i'm sorry i forget the year but it they they went to the college world series they played oklahoma for the national championship in baseball nomar garcia para and jason veritek among others, were on that team. That team was loaded. I remember that. And Jeff was an inter- Jeff was an integral, integral part of that team. So I, I didn't realize he was on that team because I saw that team play yeah. like a couple of times. Like when I played high school baseball, our coach would take us up to up to Tech's campus to watch to watch games. And Nomar was playing short, and Veritek was playing. Yeah. It was catching, and I think Jay Payton was on that team too, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, Jay um, Payton was on that team. Yeah. Yep. That team was loaded, man. <laughs> this team was loaded. One other one other point that needs to be made about anybody who takes that job is you have to exercise the goal, the ghost of Paul Johnson. I mean, Paul Johnson, Buzz <laughs> may disagree with me here. Paul Johnson well, wrecked Georgia Tech's program 
you're you're jumping into the middle of a very hot debate among tech alums. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a tech fan, so I'll I'll be objective about it and say he he absolutely wrecked the Georgia Tech program, and poor Coach Collins coming along afterwards trying to clean up that mess. He they, he had nothing to work with. He was basically building from scratch a program that absolutely should be right. way better than it is. But I bl- yeah. I blame this. I, I I lay the blame for this. At Paul Johnson. No, I, no, I, I agree. I, the thing is, I agree with Scott because, you know, they didn't I mean, he did not care about getting four and five star recruits. He was fine getting, mm-hmm. you know, three stars and, you know, starting them as feature players on his offense. And he ran that 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 triple option, that high school offense that, you know, <laughs> that'd be Georgia. That'd be Georgia a couple of times. Well, I mean, all right. So Georgia all right, here's, here's, a couple times, a couple yes, times, here's, like how many times? Like, let's let's let's. Let me, let me hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How many times has Tech beaten Georgia since the year two thousand? Probably twice, maybe four, two or three times. Yeah, it's th- it's three or yes, yeah, three or four. But so here's here's my take on on Coach Johnson. He came in. He had Chan Gailey's recruits. That included Demarius Thomas. That included you know another guy. God rest his soul. That included Jonathan Dwyer and Demar- Demarius. I mean, I can't remember his name. Jonathan Jonathan ne- Josh Nesbitt. It was a pretty good team, included Shaq Mason, who's still a starting offensive lineman for the the New England Patriots. It was a a pretty talented team. When you had athletes like that, Paul Johnson's offense worked extremely well. Unfortunately, yeah, he he didn't necessarily care too much, but you had that, he didn't care so much about recruiting top players, but you also had a problem where the tech athletic department was underfunded. We had, for many years that Paul Johnson was coach, we had a Mike Bobinski, our athletic director, who didn't really care that we played football. He came from Xavier. He wanted us to be a basketball power. But we didn't have the resources to pour into it. He didn't pour the resources into football. So Paul Johnson's hands were tied, if and if, even if he wanted to be a pro- prolific recruiter. I think the problem with, with the Coach Collins encountered, I think he had the right vision. He had the he had the idea that we should recruit very well in the state of Georgia. We don't have to go head to head with UGA and Michigan and Alabama and Ohio State, but there's enough talent in the state of Georgia that we can be darn good. But he he had a hard time at at first his first two years. We got some great recruits. One of them is now starting starting running back for Alabama and doing pretty pretty well, Jameer Gibbs. But you got to win, and I think that's where his downfall. If you you can land a couple recruits and say that we're going to build something, but then you have to build it and you have to start seeing results on the field and three years of three and nine, and then starting this year, one and three, where you're just getting, you know, hammered, absolutely hammered. That was his downfall. And we lost our athletic director, Todd Stansbury, because he hitched his wagon to Collins and said, this is, this is my guy living or dying with him. Well, he died with him, metaphorically speaking, but, but I think the vision is right. So whoever our next coach needs to be needs to say, yes, there is no reason why Georgia can't Georgia tech can't recruit and be very competitive in the ACC and be relevant nationally. No, no reason. That doesn't mean that we're going to be, you know, five stars upon five stars, like, like Alabama and, and Georgia and Clemson, but we can be pretty good. And we ought to be. Well, I mean, like, and I know we got to move on, but the 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 one thing I'll say here about about tech, I mean, it is predominantly a basketball school. It also has a very good baseball program, and it has for a long time. We talked about you know those teams of the '90s, but they've they've been competitive in baseball. I think they were competitive just this past year in baseball. So 
the only thing I'll say is like maybe maybe it is time to put off the the we're a like Georgia sucks at basketball. You know, they have a decent baseball team. They suck at basketball. They've sucked at basketball for a very long time. <laughs> Their last Final Four appearance. It's since Vern Fleming the took them to the Final Four, the year after Dominique left. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so you know, but we have a decent baseball team. We have a good football program. We are a football school. Georgia Tech is not a football school. And, and you're right. You you have a chance to be competitive in the eight. Obviously, you have Clemson. You have North Carolina, which has hit or miss seasons. Florida State's resurgent. Right now, much yeah. to, and I'm sure yeah, Scott is just yeah. super happy about that. We'll talk about Florida State when we talk about the Braves. Miami should be a, a, a national power as well, and maybe they've got the right guy now at Cristobal. Maybe Virginia Tech will will recover mm-hmm. from its its slide, you know. But you know, Tech's got a lot of competition there potentially, and and yeah. you know, it's 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 hard to see them breaking through, at least in the short term. Maybe in the long term, but we'll who knows? We'll see. We'll see All right, maybe so one day. Just one last thing. Yeah, we threw out Deion Sanders' name as a joke, but apparently there is some interest there from I mean this is this is just so weird about all this stuff. You got all these coaches, all these names that you're seeing floated out for the the Georgia Tech job, for the Nebraska job which they just can their Heisman Trophy trophy winning quarterback Scott Frost, they, they canned him. Arizona State can Herm Edwards. Y'all, you're seeing this. You're seeing all these names floated out for these positions, probably floated out by the agents or somebody in the camp of these various coaches, just letting the world know, hey, we're we're interested. And that's going on with Dion. He's floating his name out there, but he's floating it for the Georgia Tech job, not for the Nebraska job or the AS, uh, Arizona State job, which is interesting. So I don't know. I, I have no idea if anything comes of that because the the you know. Will Will Deion Sanders want to recruit kids who can pass calculus? Because that's what you got to do at Georgia Tech. You have to bring in kids who can pass calculus, and uh, there's plenty of them out there who can. But uh, I don't know. Not not yeah. you know. Does Dion want to recruit those kind of kids? <laughs> yes, we're all aware that North that that Georgia Tech students are nerds, guys. The I mean, we call it the North Avenue Trade School. I mean, it is what it is. The guys, the Water Wars are seemingly at an end this has been going on for what 30 years and the water the water wars are finally finally over scott fill us in on what's going on so the governor had a press conference this week to announce this deal and he thanked former governor nathan deal for really helping push this through i remember my first year in the legislature hr5 i still remember the, the the resolution number because it was a big deal. And it basically gave the governor the authority to sue anybody and everybody over this issue and whether or not we would get access to water. And there's been border controversy between us and Tennessee. There was a Netflix special about how the states got their shapes, (laughs) where a lobbyist in Georgia and a state state legislator went out and hit a golf ball into (laughs) the river up there where the border was supposed to be and where the border was. So this has been going on for a long, long time. And the deal is basically this, that the state of Georgia will reimburse the Army Corps of Engineers $71 million over 30 years for water storage. $71 million in our budget is a drop, so to speak, to turn a phrase. Mm-hmm. And then once that debt's paid off, the state of Georgia gets permanent water storage rights, which is a huge win for Georgia. Yeah. Massive, massive deal. This is going to secure our ability to grow our population as a state well into the future. And it'll be one of the major conflicts that are off the books 
which is progress by itself. Yeah. Does anybody else remember when was it was it David Schaefer when he was in the state Senate who who floated the idea of us? There was like some issue with the surveying lines of the border between Georgia and Tennessee. Mm -hmm. and I think it was Schaefer yeah. who proposed taking back about a mile of land from Tennessee, yes. including <laughs> water rights over the Tennessee River. So <laughs> this whole when when Schaefer first got elected to the Senate, a bunch of us, myself included, got this certificate that said that we were now an honorary member of the uh, Georgia militia. And I, I was it, signed by Senator David Schaefer. I was named a lieutenant. And so then I'm in the legislature. And, and you know, as Scott mentioned, you know, the first resolution that I recall was was a David Schaefer resolution saying, you know, as, calling on the Tennessee legislature to acknowledge these facts that the line was wrong and that the half that, you know, that a chunk of that river belongs to us. And I said, look, you did, you named me, you made me a lieutenant in the militia, and now you're declaring war on Tennessee. Well, yeah, you know, what, what exactly have you got me into here, Senator? So, and as I recall, the Tennessee legislature kind of crumpled that. They, they threw it. They actually made a paper hat, paper, paper boat out of it and floated it down the Tennessee River. That's exactly, it's exactly but, what but, they but, I mean, this, I just, this, I gotta... really is a, this really is a huge deal, if I could just add, because... You know, I, I live here in Gwinnett where the lake comes into Gwinnett County. If we'd lost this thing, the only person, the only entity that would have authority to draw water out would be the city of Buford, who had a, a pre-existing relationship with that that would have survived all challenge. So, so th this is huge because it is you know, an enormous supplier of water for our entire metro region. And it allows Atlanta to, to continue to grow. And but people forget we have taken incredible steps across Georgia to fix water leaks, to improve our water efficiency. Gwinnett County has this enormous water plant that is incredibly efficient and finally got permission a few years ago to, to return the purified water back into Lake Lanier. It's actually cleaner water that comes through our, our water system than the water that's in Lake Lanier. So they were finally able to convince the Army Corps to let us put that back in. So the Gwinnett it's with with almost a million people in our county, we're almost at net zero as far as the water we draw out of the lake and the water we return to the lake. And it's really pretty amazing. So, you know, this Georgia's done a lot to get to this point where we where we win these water wars finally. Yeah. The so speaking of speaking of water, there is there's a lot of water heading Florida's way right now. Hurricane Ian, which this morning when I turned on CNN. I was getting, I was sitting there eating my bowl of Apple Jacks and I was, I had tur turned on CNN and they were saying that the wind speeds, sustained wind speeds of 155 miles an hour, which was just below category five. Mm -hmm. So it looks, yeah, it, it looks like it's going to hit, it looks like it's entering Florida about 140 miles an hour sustained winds, but it's going to be a pretty devastating storm based on everything we're seeing and reading. It's going to hit Florida pretty hard. And then it's going to make its way up the, presumably up the East Coast. And right now, when I last look, it's going to enter South Georgia as a potentially a tropical storm. Then it'll go up through South Carolina as a tropical depression. And of course, Georgia will get plenty of rain. It might even make its way, considering the, the sheer size of the storm, might even make its way into Metro Atlanta, at least the far edges of it. But Governor Kemp has issued a state of emergency for the state of Georgia, just preparing for for what could be coming coming the, the state's way. So, I mean, he's, at least he's being proactive here and not, not getting caught you know, caught in, you know, I guess the wrong spot, which is good news, Buzz or Scott. Well, he, he, in the, the order that creating the state of emergency, they 
put a, a, a warning a, a, for the Camden County area and one other county north of there. And the, he's encouraging Georgians to, to basically take appropriate actions based on your location. So those of us in the Atlanta area, we're probably just going to see a little bit of wind, a little bit of rain yeah. compared to what other people will see. But residents who are in vulnerable housing situations, including those in low-lying areas, a risk mm-hmm. flood should consider relocating to temporary or higher ground. They're opening some shelters down there. All of South and Coastal Georgia should pay close attention to the guidance from local officials or review your family emergency plans. They have not decided to one-way I-16 at this time. That, that could potentially change depending on how the storm reacts as it crosses Florida. It's gyrating sort of back and forth a little bit right now, but they think it's going to go like the path that Jason just described. Mm-hmm. But this is another opportunity for Georgians to show their readiness for any type of natural disaster. Have your your bug-out bag ready, right? And get your yeah. kits going. Have some bottled water available. Don't hoard stuff. Make sure you're taking enough for your, you and your family, but no, don't take all the toilet paper like we saw during the pandemic. Jeez, man. No, no, no kidding. No kidding. I was just looking at the radar and it looks like, you know, Atlanta proper is, is no longer in the, you know, the cone of uncertainty, but yeah, you know, just you described Jason, it looks like the projected path would take it off the coast you know, as you mentioned, skirting around Jacksonville and it looks like, you know, heading pretty close, not a direct hit on Savannah, a little north of that, maybe in between Hilton Head Island and Beaufort. But yeah, I don't, I don't see how we avoid lots of rain. But yeah, this is this thing's a monster, man. Everybody should continue to pay attention. I remember September of 2020, there was a remnants of a hurricane that came through. And I, I remember I was on my way back from D.C., and I stopped at a, I had just gotten into South Carolina and I just gotten in, I, I just stopped into a, at a rest stop and I had to use the restroom. I also had to send an email too. So I had to pull out my laptop. I have Wi-Fi in my car. So I'm like, you know, doing all that stuff on my, on my computer. And I, you know, it had been raining the whole trip. And I was like, well, I want to pull up the weather, see what the weather, weather is, what weather is like. And, and I realized when I did that, that I was sitting in the middle of a tornado warning. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I happened to be, I happened to call a friend of mine who lived in Aiken, South Carolina, not far from the Georgia line, for those of you who are not familiar with Inter- Interstate 20. And uh, I said something about being a tornado warning. He's like, well, you're sure you can go back to south of the border and rent a room by the hour. I was like, wait, really? He goes, no, I'm not sure about that, but it seems like the type of place you could do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I uh, remember, what was it Hurricane Matthew that came through, really pounded? That might have been the one you're talking about, Jason, that really south pounded Georgia. south Georgia. My wife might have been. It was, yeah. yeah. My wife organized a bunch of supplies and we drove it down, took a busload. And Scott, you helped too. We got the Cherokee GOP contributed as well. And we took a a busload of of supplies and stuff down to Blakely, Georgia. Our our friends, Brad Hughes, was down there and helped us receive those and get them distributed to the folks down there. But the, the devastation along down in that part of the state was just unbelievable. I'd never seen anything like it. Trees, big, big old trees <laughs> down all over the place and really hit the lumber industry in Georgia hard, hit the farm community very hard. Our state rep, Clay Perkle, uh, lost his, co- his cotton crop and all sorts of other things. And the you know the timber industry was hit hard. Pecan, pecan, pecan industry was hammered. So it was, these things are, are not to be trifled with. So, okay. 
Well, Georgia is dealing with another hur hurricane of sorts, a hurricane we call Governor Glenn. He came. <laughs> what a transition. My segues, a my segues well are on point. They are on point. So my governor, my governor, Glenn Youngkin, came through Georgia to campaign for a Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, Youngkin is, of course, and, and for those of you who are not familiar, Virginia, they can governors serve one term for which they cannot run for re-election. They can skip a cycle and then run for re-election, as was the case with Terry McAuliffe, who was beaten by Glenn Youngkin. But Youngkin told a story while he was stumping for, for Governor Kemp that he told the crowd that Abrams warned Virginia voters that their state would become more like Georgia if, Repu if a Republican was elected. And Youngkin responds with that to that and says, I'm proud to say our economy is growing. Our kids are back in school. We're returning taxpayers money to them. He goes, he further said, I'm proud to say, yeah, we're a lot like Georgia. So, you know, you know the, the, the thing is, I mean, Youngkin's, Youngkin's done a few things that are, are minorly controversial, but so far, so far he seems to have been pretty successful. He, of course, he's dealing with a, I think one, one house is Republican and another house is Senate. I think the Senate is Democratic, but the Commonwealth certainly does seem to be functioning well under the leadership of, of Youngkin. And certainly he seems to be and not necessarily modeling himself after Kemp, but he's taken some of his cues for sure. Mm -hmm. Scott, what do you think? Well, I, I think Stacey Abrams went there when she campaigned for McAuliffe over Yunkin. She made some pretty outrageous statements up there, specifically around uh, abortion and school choice. The, those two things definitely come to mind. But this comment of, you know, we can't allow Virginia to become more like Georgia belies and continues this narrative that she doesn't like it here. She doesn't like what we are and what we're like. You know, she doesn't like particularly care for the state. So that narrative, I think, rubs a lot of Georgians the wrong way as far as what does she really think of the state that she chooses, she wants to to govern. Uh, I think it it's smart of the Kemp campaign to bring Governor Yunkin down to tell that story because the the leftward jolt that we've seen out of Stacey Abrams was on full display when she was campaigning for McAuliffe in Virginia. And that's who she actually is, right? That's who she's become. That's what she that's how she views us as a state. And I think it was it was a good move yeah. to bring Yunkin here to stump for him. And what's wrong with a strong economy? What's wrong with freeing <laughs> up the opening the economy after the pandemic is over, at least according to Joe Biden? And making sure people could go back to work. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And Virginians are now benefiting from it. And it also, you know, there there is a very strong fear, uncertainty, doubt component to the Stacey Abrams message. When Stacey Abrams goes out, she's constantly saying, they're, they're here to destroy you and I'm here to defend you. And, and <laughs> the opposite is actually true. Like Republican policies are being shown to help the average person over and over again, wherever they're tried, whether it's Georgia or Virginia, people are able to go to work. People are able to to put their kids back into a classroom instead of learning from a screen. If Stacey Abrams had been governor during the pandemic, what would Georgia look like? It wouldn't look as successful as it is today. That's the real the real point here. And again, kudos to the Kemp campaign for making hay out of that while they have the opportunity to one before before we before i get to you buzz let me just say that you know the fact the fact is georgia has a strong governor model and the governor mm -hmm. the legislature has given the governor a lot of a lot of power and i think that's yep. something that 
and and I don't. This is not for voters to keep in mind. This is for the legislature itself to keep in mind because, as we have said, Georgia is trending purple. It might, you know, it might go. Kemp might get reelected. We don't know what's going to happen in the Senate race. Polls are still all over the place. But there is there is a. It's less certain that this will be a Republican stronghold in the future. But that's yeah. something that Republican legislators need to pay attention to: is maybe reclaiming some of that power they have given to the governor through a series of constitutional amendments and statutory law changes. It was unfortunate that a piece of legislation like that hasn't that didn't move last year. It should have. Yeah. But I'm hoping that's something that that you know Republican legislators to keep in mind maybe next year is trying to reclaim some of that power. But Buzz, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's a great point because we are, I think, NCSL, National Conference of State Legislatures, rates Georgia governor as the fifth most powerful chief executive in the country. That's pretty strong. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember Speaker Ralston saying, and this just blew my mind, that uh, it wasn't until the 70s that the legislature was allowed to pick its the Speaker of the House. Previously, the governor had appointed the Speaker of the House before that. So that's pretty 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 astounding. So yeah, it would be very wise for Republicans to do that just for for a balance of you know you know balance, checks and balances to happen to have a stronger legislature and a weaker governor to make it make it more of a level playing field. But yeah, I think you know, Youngkin's an interesting guy, and I I am it's I think it's very smart of Governor Kemp to bring him down. He he modeled for you know he he's he's talking about how he learned stuff from Governor Kemp, but he modeled how to campaign in a purple state, and did a, did a very good job. And he noticed that this event took place in Alpharetta. This did not in sorry, was my dog barking at something. This this event took place in Alpharetta, a place where Governor Kemp needs needs to pick up some votes. So smart move by the Kemp campaign to do this and. Yunkin providing good good campaigning for him. So you have let's let's do a, a contrast in news stories. So here you have the Republican governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, and we are a Commonwealth. We're not a state. We are a Commonwealth. I, this has been just pounded in my head since I moved here. Um, so <laughs> so you have the, the Republican governor of Virginia coming down to Georgia to to stump for Brian Kemp. But in the state of Georgia, the Democratic Party, you have a statewide candidate. And Alicia Thomas Searcy, formerly Alicia Thomas Morgan, for those of you who remember that name, who is running for state school superintendent. And she is, says that Stacey Abrams and her supporters are ostracizing her. And I wonder why that could be. She's because because Alicia Thomas Searcy has always been a very big supporter of school choice, you know, even though she's a Democrat. But yep. Buzz, why don't you take this one away and, and explain to us what's going on? So it's funny. A few weeks ago. About a month ago, I guess it was, Shelly Winter, who's a, a radio guy on WSB, tweets out a photo, and it's a photo of all the statewide candidates, you know, with Stacy and Stacy Kind saying, "Here's my team," and yeah, Alicia was not in that photo, so Shelly was making hay out of that, and so it was after one of our state charter school commission meetings. Ty Tagami, who's one of the guys who covers education for the AJC, came up to me and. You know, had I seen this? Yes. What did I think? Because I, I don't know. You know, that that is kind of curious. I think it's wise of Shelley to raise that question. Why is this the school choice person, a strong African American woman, not on that in that picture? And so he was asked. He was trying to chase down. You know, was there any friction? I, I served with a cup for a couple of years with Alicia while she was in the legislature, and you know, I I had never heard anything publicly, right? I never heard, overheard any conversations, but it was pretty clear. Abrams, as as most Democratic leaders have done over the years, and James Beverly does too, 
they locked down against any sort of school choice measure. The big one that was happening while Alicia was there, those last and I was there, was the charter school amendment, which eventually passed. Alicia was a co-sponsor of that piece of legislation and championed it around the state. And eventually went and for a while was working at a charter school, Ivy Prep Academy. So there was friction over that, but I don't remember anything, anybody calling out. So I'm not surprised <laughs> that Alicia's getting the cold shoulder. It's pretty clear that Abrams, you know, she endorsed many of these candidates, handpicked in primaries, many of these candidates who are on the slate over, you know, for example, you know, endorsed B. Wynn over, over an African-American woman, endorsed Charlie Bailey over African-American candidates. She, she handpicked the slate she wanted. Alicia won outside of that endorsement, outside of the good graces of Stacey Abrams. So, yeah, I think there's something to this. And I think it's interesting. And, and, I, and quite frankly, I think that Alicia, of all the statewide candidates, because of her views on charter schools and other choice, school choicey issues, has a better chance to win. I don't know if she will, but she has a better chance to win than these other candidates who, you know, we saw the polling from the AJC's own poll. They didn't poll this race, but the other races that they polled, Republicans have a pretty commanding lead. And Richard Woods is a very nice man. I think he's done an okay job. He's not exactly been a champion of charter schools and school choice issues. He's kind of towed the establishment line. He's the only Republican candidate, by the way, Richard Woods is, that was endorsed by the Georgia Association of Educators, who endorsed every other member of the slate of Democrats. It's stiff-armed Alicia there and endorsed Richard Woods over her. So I think that shows you, you know, Richard, they're, they're okay with Richard's views and they're not okay with Alicia's views on schools. So I, I know people who are Republicans, who are school choice Republicans, who are going to be voting for her. So it's, it's that's an interesting race. And it's a, it, frankly, I think it's a big mistake for Abrams to give Alicia the stiff arm. Well, you know, I spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how the Republican Party has alienated a lot of people and and certainly alienated me. But here you have a black Democrat who simply wants parents to be able to make the choices that are best for their children, whether it be at a charter school or, a, or, or a, you know, using tax dollars to go to a private school or what, whatever the case may be. And a senior Democratic Party official in this article, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, wrote this in their, their morning jolt, or I guess it's just called the jolt now. A senior Democratic Party official said, and I quote, she's a Republican, full stop. And Scott, <laughs> I'll let you start first here, but this is, this is ultimately a question for both of you. Can you think of a policy off the top of your heads that Alicia Thomas Searcy supports that is backed by the Republican Party other than school other than school choice. And I would even say like a lot of Republicans in the state legislature don't support school choice. <laughs> right. So can you guys can you guys think of anything off the top of your head where you're like she, where, that makes her anything other than a progressive Democrat? Yeah. Nope. No, this is it. This is the one issue where yeah. she divides from the party. It just happens to be the position that she's running for would have most influence over this. And and I got to start by saying this. This is the difference between Buzz and me is going to be on full display in this cuz Buzz was way too kind. He was <laughs> and he was he was very soft in how he delivered it. I'm going to just go straight to the point. If you support school choice, you only have one candidate in this race, and that is Alicia Searcy. <laughs> Richard Woods is not school choice. He doesn't believe in it. He he undermined every opportunity 
His office has undermined every opportunity. They have his staff has lobbied against every school choice piece of legislation that has come forward to the legislature. I had a bill that was a modest expansion of the special needs scholarship. And all it said was, once you're qualified for it, you get it, right? Because the way it was worded before under the special needs scholarship, and we're talking about kids with autism, blindness, deafness, severe learning disabilities, a set of a defined set of conditions. But if you're severely autistic, as an example, and the public school system wasn't the right fit for you, you can take the special needs scholarship, the state portion of your funding, and go apply that as a scholarship towards a private school that had to meet criteria according to the state anyway. They had to be on an approved list of schools. And I said, once you got that eligibility, that you were good to go. Because the way it would work is if you pulled your kid out and you homeschooled for a year, in order to gain eligibility again, you'd have to put them back into the public school for a full school year before you'd gain eligibility again. And my bill would say, well, once you pull them out, you you can do homeschool for a year. And if that doesn't work, then you can go try something else to give parents additional flexibility. He fought me on that. His office lobbied people against that piece of legislation. There's only one school choice champion in this race. It happens to be a Democrat. And no, to answer your question, she's not conservative on any other issue. She's against voter ID, as an example. The article pointed that out. Her campaigns pointed that out. You know, gun control stuff. She was she was very liberal. You know, she doesn't share the conservative mindset on anything other than she recognizes that in the African-American community, that that community also needs additional choices that oftentimes kids get trapped by their zip code by local systems and the parents are powerless to do anything about it. So she's actually trying to empower the African-American community of parents to give them these opportunities that don't exist today. Richard Woods doesn't do that, right? So he is not a school choice guy. And and you can get caught up in the culture war stuff and say, you know, what about emotional learning? What's the buzz phrase today? Buzz, help me out. Yeah, SEL, social emotional learning. Yeah. Social, emotional, Social learning. emotional learning stuff, you know, she, right. You can talk about that, but the answer to SEL is school choice, right? Yeah. So she would, she would be undermining that part of any type of liberal agenda by empowering parents to go pick the school of their choice. So I, I understand why Stacey Abrams is trying to ostracize her. And it's clear that she is. It's very clear. Yeah. Another quote that was in that article was by commissioner in Athens, Clark County named Russell Edwards, who said, Democrats support public education. Searcy has undermined it. What else can she possibly run on? And and that's the Democrat Party establishment's view of this of this African-American woman who won a primary without a runoff and is widely popular amongst the base. They're 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 stiff arming her because she has a policy view that doesn't line up with their liberal view of the world. And these are the people who want to pass legislation and control the education agenda in Georgia, which is a question mark for for the undecided voters to have to decide how do you want to handle that situation? Do you want to be empowered or do you want the state making these decisions for you? Agree with agree with Scott real fast. Just 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 to say that, yeah, you know, Alicia Thomas Cersei is the school choice candidate. She is the candidate that you want to vote for if you care about this issue. And look, I realize that I I take a very libertarian stance on this thing and I'll, on this podcast and I often come across that I, that I hate Republicans more than I hate Democrats. I hate you both pretty equally. When it comes to, <laughs> when it comes this is school choice is is one of those 
is one of those issues that I think is is undervalued, and particularly in light of the the pandemic, thankfully it's gotten more attention. Be it you know through innovation like cluster schools, or, or I think that's what they're called, or you know uh, homeschooling, micro whatever schools. it may be. Parent micro schools. Parent parents need to have an active role in their education. They should have the the choice to send their kid where they want to send their kid or kids. And the, there's only one candidate in the race who's going to back that, and that's Alicia Thomas Searcy. Yeah. So look, I, I am I'm the I'm the currently the chair of the state charter school commission. I have to work with Department of Education all the time. I got to be care I, I got to be careful. But I, there's there's a there's an issue sitting right there that Richard Woods is not talking about that is just waiting. And I hope Searcy picks this up. That's learning loss. Parents are really, really interested in that. Poll after poll after poll shares that, shows that. Governor Kemp tapped into it a little bit a few weeks ago when he said he's going to offer grants to to districts. I texted the governor and thanked him for that because that that is such a potent issue out there. Parents are incredibly concerned about it. Richard Woods is not talking about it, and I hope that Alicia will talk about it and and here's her you know announce her plan to address that because that's so important. Federal money. Is we have there's Georgia's school districts have received directly from the government 3.5 billion through ARPA funds. They've only spent 20 percent of it. For for the love of God, spend it on helping kids recover learning loss. And nobody's talking about this. Governor Kemp mentioned it a little bit, and I encourage him. He should talk about it all the time. And that's the issue there, Alicia. If you're listening to this, man, that's the issue. Grab a hold of that. Talk about that, and then you'll be the only statewide Democrat who wins a race. Chief us. Well, changing, changing, <laughs> maybe Warnock, but changing gears. Well, maybe Warnock. Changing gears com- completely. It's time to get into the most contentious part of our podcast. But I'm gonna start on a, on a lighthearted note. That's gonna that's gonna jump into potential. That could be potentially controversial. It could it could evolve into something controversial. So the Atlanta Braves visited the White House this week, where they met with the President of the United States, Joe Biden, and they were congratulated for winning the World Series. So there are, there are two elements to this. The, the first one is the not obvious one. For those of you who looked at the Atlanta Braves Instagram account and saw the number of hate comments on there that aimed at aimed at like people were upset at the Braves for going to the White House when Joe Biden was president. Come on. Come on, man. Stop. Come on. Stop. <laughs> Shut up. Like, it's your right to be stupid, but you, I mean, please stop. Please stop. So, yeah, it was, it was dumb, but the Braves were there. They got, you know, they gave Joe Biden an Atlanta Braves jersey with the number 46 on it and had his last name on it. And then, of course, the really controversial side of this is the White House press secretary, <laughs> whose name escapes me, she, she said that, that they should have a conversation about the Atlanta Braves changing their name. Which this conversation is one that I I have had to live with my entire life. My my old boss when I was at FreedomWorks told me that after the his his beloved Cleveland Indians changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians, that Atlanta the Atlanta Braves were next. And I told him over from my cold dead hands or over my my dead body, whatever I don't remember what I said exactly. <laughs> but the the conversation is is happening. Well, I wouldn't say it's happening. The White House tried to start the conversation. Didn't seem like to go off so successfully, but I digress. It has been mentioned. It seems like we have a lot of other problems in the world today, particularly, you know, there's a hurricane that's about to hit Florida. We're potentially heading towards a nuclear disaster in in Eastern Europe. Inflation's rampant. Budget deficit's going to be somewhere in the ballpark of a trillion dollars this year. It's looking worse as the more we go go, further out we look in in history, or not history, but the future. It looks, it just seems like this is 
on the things that we should all give a shit about, not really that big a deal. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. The, for a period of time, the Braves had stopped doing the tomahawk chop because the St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, whose name escapes me I think it was moment, Jack Flaherty. Like, Is that his name? No, it wasn't Flaherty. It was a relief pitcher. Oh. It certainly wasn't Flaherty. But he, he came in and said that he was disgusted by the by the the imagery of the tomahawk chop and he can't believe that in year 2019 that they were still doing that that thing and then the braves put it away for a while but you know buzz and i went to a game last year and the tomahawk chop shirt certainly broke out and it was led by the braves organist and everybody was doing it and i I looked at i looked at buzz like are we are we are we gonna get canceled buzz are we are we allowed to do the chop I, i i thought this was this was something we weren't allowed to do anymore. I, I'm shocked. But the, the the president's staff and even Senator Warnock seem to be completely oblivious to the fact that the Braves have created a relationship similar to how Florida State has a relationship with the Seminole Nation, with the Eastern Band of Cherokees. Now, the rest of the Native American community apparently is not on board with the way the Eastern Band of Cherokees views this. They still want to see the Braves change their name. So we'll... we'll We'll make a point of, of saying that. But the Eastern Band of Cherokees are being supported financially by the Braves. They have a display in Truist Park honoring and celebrating Native American culture, Native American history. And there's a, a, a Braves jersey written in the Cherokee language that says ball player on it on display to show and honor their language and their culture. And... That's the way to do this if you have a Native American mascot. And the Braves' name is certainly different than Indians. Mm -hmm. It's certainly different than Redskins, which is a flat-out racial slur. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't really compare it to other organizations because they never really developed that relationship. And we'll talk about Florida State because Florida State— is the only college team left with a Native American mascot. They had been told by the NCAA they had to change it. And the Seminole Nation came to their defense. And they said, no, no, no. Florida State has our blessing. And and honestly, they're helping to keep our culture alive. They have a whole division within, a whole school within Florida State based on keeping the Native American culture of the Seminole Nation's history and archives and they are involved in every decision when they display any type of cultural reference to the Seminoles. Everything from the fact that there's a kid riding on a horse with a flaming spear in their football school, the Chief Osceola logo, the, the, the costume that the kid wears is all done by and blessed by the Seminole Nation. And so that's a tr- genuine partnership designed to honor that culture, not denigrate it in any way. And I think that's the tack the Braves have taken here. They've, they've decided, look, we understand there is a, a, a controversy, but we're, we're going to try to use our name to honor the Eastern Band of Cherokees. And they have bought into that. The Eastern Band of Cherokees have bought into this idea that they can use the Braves as a partner in helping them preserve their culture in a way that's satisfactory to them. So who is anybody else to judge that relationship? And to judge that Eastern Band of Cherokee for embracing the Braves as an unofficial affiliate to their nation. Yeah. And the Eastern Band, the Eastern Band of Cherokees that, you know, just noting Scott talked about them. That is the, the part of the Cherokee descendants of Cherokees that I guess they still are Cherokees 
who are okay with the Braves and the Braves have a relationship with this chair, the Cherokee nation, which is based in Oklahoma that wants the Braves to change their name. They've been quite vocal about that over the years. And, you know, this, you know, I, I going back to, to last year, I, I remember hearing when the Braves were in the world series that kept coming up that, that the Braves, you know, the Braves needed to change their name. It was, it was, I think it even came up on a couple of the broadcasts, you know, it was very clear that some sports pundits especially didn't want the Braves to be successful because of their name. Not and, and you know people overlook that that relationship the Braves have with the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, which you know it's not just I mean obviously Scott mentioned the financial side, but I mean there are videos that the Braves have produced talking about what the relationship with the Braves means to EC, uh, EB, EBCI. So it's very important to them that that relationship gets maintained. And it's kind of unfortunate. This keeps coming up, especially, you know, this is the White House. You know, yeah. they have the largest microphone of, of, they have the largest microphone in the free world. And you're going to use it for this? Yeah, I don't really have much to add. I think you guys have said it very well. It, it's, it's a much, it's much more, the Braves relationship in this situation is much more like, Florida State than it is other other things and and it's you know we the days of Chief Nakahoma are long gone and you know caricatures of of Native Americans those are long gone and it's a much more respectful and I think if they can continue to deepen their relationship with you know the Native American community that all the better yeah because you know, we can't we can't and we shouldn't you know remove all these references and you know, can confine them to smaller and smaller parts of our public square with this. They ought to be front and center, have these discussions. The history is not always pretty, as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. And obviously the Native, Native American community is, has suffered greatly through injustices over the years at the hands of the federal government and others. But, you know, th- this is a this is an opportunity to have a positive situation. And I think the Braves are doing the right thing and will continue to do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. But there, there is yet more Atlanta Braves stuff to discuss because the Braves are flirting with history. This is obscure history, but they're, they're flirting with history. The Atlanta Braves have not had a sacrifice bunt all year. They are nine games. The, ga- the game against Washington just started, or I think it's about to start tonight's game. So they have nine games, today, including tonight's nine games left in the season, but they have Se- not had seven. a sacrifice. But Se- seven, seven included was, tonight. Okay. Three well, against the Mets, corrected. three against the Marlins, and tonight. So, yeah. Okay. All right. I stand corrected. But, yeah, but no sacrifice bunts this year. Scott and I have thoughts. Scott and I have thoughts. Let me. I've let got me, thoughts, too. Start. They're let different me... than y'all's. So go go ahead. So it's it's it's. <laughs> It's you this week. We've remained civil. <laughs> We've remained civil the entirety of the podcast, and it's all going to go downhill here because of yes, because because baseball baseball should be baseball. I have never made a secret of my hatred of the designated hitter and I, the fact that I think it should exist. So the the mere fact that it's in the National League is is an abomination. It's a crime against nature. Uh, I'm sure John Locke would agree with me. Word. I think some of the rules that we've seen rolled out that will come out next season, including uh, bigger bases, uh, you know, fine. I, I think it's stupid, but whatever. But the banning of the shift, you know, if you want, if you if you want to see offense in baseball, learn how to hit. Don't. Not everybody needs to be a pull. Not everybody needs to be a damn pull hitter. Hit the ball to right. If you're a right-handed hitter, you don't need to hit it over to like to to left field every single at bat you can push the ball to right field it's okay it's quite okay to do that you want to boost your batting average poke it to right field 
It's called an inside-out swing. You know, if they're bent, or if bunch. They're shifting, if they're shifting, if you're, you know, bunt down the third baseline, if you're a right-handed hitter, bunt down the, or excuse me, bunt down the first baseline, if you're a right-handed hitter, bunt down the, the third baseline, if you're a left-handed hitter. There are really ways around this that would make baseball an interesting game. I, I've been told in my entire life that baseball is a thinking man's game, but apparently nobody thought of these things. Well, the problem is, Jason, you have a commissioner of baseball who hates baseball, right? The reason why he yeah. has these these rules changes is Rob Manfred doesn't like the sport as it's traditionally been played. And the game has evolved, and I get that, right? And I'm not, I'm not a person who thinks that we should ban the shift. I think you you play around it, right? If you're just, you don't have to change the rules because the game has evolved. You just learn how to play the game the way it is, has evolved. And that's what, what's beautiful about baseball is the skill level, but the, the rules changes prove that he doesn't like baseball and he's and the pitch clock when it comes next year is definitely going to change the game i don't think it'll speed it up much i think it's going to be detrimental in a lot of ways i think stolen bases are going to go off the off the chart and and runs will be scored all the all over the place because and games will continue to go long because scoring is what leads to longer games so the the commissioner not liking the sport and making these rules changes to try to adjust to the way that the game has evolved is what's the most egregious to me. You know, I, I don't care that there's a shift, right? I don't, I think there wouldn't be a shift if players would adjust to the fact that they're getting shifted on, but they don't. And, and cause that's the modern game. It's power on power. It's hundred mile an hour pitchers. You've got Hunter green. Who's thrown a hundred mile an hour pitches this season. And he's only played for about half the season. And that's a new record, by the way. But he is one of a large group who throw 100 miles an hour regularly. And so you have pitcher power versus batting power, and they're not willing to make the change. If I had any speed at all and I'm a right-handed hitter, I'm bunting down the left field line until they they move a third baseman back into position, and then I'm taking a normal swing. But they, they're a left-handed batter anyway. So these are the things that make that are that are crazy about this. It's not that the Braves haven't had a bunt. I'm not mad about that. It's that we have to make changes to the game because the Braves haven't had a bunt. Just let the game be played. It'll work itself out. You don't have to. It's like a conservative view of government. Get out of the way. Let the players play. The game itself is beautiful. Let them do it. Let them play. Buzz, go ahead and tell us why you hate America. Okay, I don't disagree with much of what you said, but the, 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 the fact, I, I don't care that the Braves have not had a sacrifice bunt. When you have guys like Ronald Acuna and Michael Harris II and Ozzie Albies and the, all these guys who can score from first base, why would you burn an out to move these guys over when any ball in the gap, they're going to score? So I, I absolutely see why the Braves are not sacrificing. I don't care about – I don't I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all that the Braves have not had, had a sacrifice bunt. If that's a part of the game that goes away because of, of strategy – then that I am totally fine with that. But a lot of you know a lot of what you guys just said I agree with. You know the banning the shift I think is a dumb idea. You know Scott's right they should adjust and why Ozzy Albies for example they they put the shift on him all the time why he never bunted down the third the third baseline just blows my mind. But that's a bunt that's not a sacrifice bunt. <laughs> so my my 
disagreement with y'all is I'm not upset at all that the Braves don't have a sacrifice bunt because they're scoring runs in bunches and they've got a, a roster loaded with guys who can score from first and they got a third base coach in Ron Washington who's going to send them whether they can you know he sent he sent Matt Olson from from first you know and Matt Olson scored it right like we're well there have been studies about. <laughs> there have been studies about sending runners as the third base coach, and you basically can replace your your third base coach with a sign that says "run" and <laughs> and you'll score runs. The, yes. The but but it's so Ron Washington's so prolific that his bobbleheads doesn't bobble, but his arm yes. swings in a windmill. You know the the <laughs> the free Braves giveaway bobblehead right. of Ron Washington is him with his arm just spinning. That's so what he does. yeah. <laughs> That's what he does, and he's no, awesome. I, I don't, I don't like, I don't like banning the shift. I, I, I hate the shift. I, it, it drives me nuts when they do it. I understand why they do it, but uh, yeah, players should adapt. And I think you've seen them adapt. I, it seems to be Sometimes. being used less on guys like Dansby and and many others because they have adapted. Dansby, especially, he drives the ball to to right center a lot, and Olsen drives it to left center. So they're learning. It was really but, prolific uh, yeah. during. It was really obvious during the the last World Series. Every time the Braves put a shift on, the Astros beat it. You know, because they they did adjust. They did what what baseball players should do, and they had professional hitters that could do it. And Dusty Baker's an old school manager who is yeah. going to say, "Don't like it? Hit the ball where they ain't." That's the that's the object of this game is hit it where they ain't. No, and, and but that's that's but that's ultimately my frustration more than anything else, and is is the fact that. You know, because if you played Tony Gwynn, I mean, and Tony Qu- Gwynn is probably not the best example for, of this because the guy could hit a baseball through a teacup. But Tony Gwynn, I mean, I mean, it's, he hit for average. He didn't hit for power. I think the most home runs he right. ever hit in a right. season was somewhere like in the low twenties. But, but you know, he get, but he he mastered the art of the of the inside out swing. He knew. He knew how to get around defenses. Certainly, in the highlight of his, or the, the the high point in his career, there are certainly players like that now who who there are few who can hit the ball where they want to hit it. But yeah, it's too much now. It's it, and maybe maybe look maybe the vo- velocity because the you know pitchers are throwing faster than they used to. Yeah, location's a problem too, right? Because if you're if you got the shift on a guy, you're not gonna on a left-handed batter, for example you're not going to throw it on the outside part of the plate. Right, right. I mean, in that, that was something I remember I was watching a baseball game with with a friend of mine not too long ago, and I was saying, you know, I forget who was pitching, but, you know, just concentrating on the outer edge, just concentrating on the yeah. outer edge. It's like that's very Greg Maddox-esque because Maddox would just spit, yeah. you know, Maddox and Gladden would just spend, you know, you know their their time on the mound just throwing on the outer edge. They would paint the corners. Right. And, you know, few pitchers, pitchers, are, they're more interested in blowing a fastball right by you going 100 miles an hour, 99 miles an hour, yeah. and just right down the middle. And there are too, too, like, too few pitchers pay attention to movement and velocity is the – is rules is yeah. king now and it's frustrating i mean you know but maybe maybe to some degree there's an argument to be made that that hitters just can't don't have time to do an inside out swing or whatever i don't know if i buy it but well but they'll adapt right i mean the 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 number of yeah as scott pointed out the number of guys throwing over 100 you know spencer strider is yeah. one but hitters are starting to catch up to that and so you'll see right now right now the pitchers have the advantage on that because of the the velocity is just unbelievable Hitters are going to adapt to that. They're going to figure out ways to – they're going to get better. 
reaction times are going to get better. And then the, you know, the hitters will, then the play, the, the pitchers will have to uh, adjust. But, yeah. oh, by the way, have, have y'all, I was just going to say, have y'all seen a, a, a documentary about Nolan Ryan that's now on Netflix? It's really good. If I think I get a chance to see it. It's really good. I've seen it up on Netflix, but I have not watched it. And granted, I rarely get on Netflix anymore. I still have it. I don't know why I still have yeah. it, but I, I just immediately added that to my to-do list, Buzz. I am now yes. going to watch the Nolan Ryan thing on Netflix. But I'm going to read a comment from John Vestal. John Vestal is watching us live because he is a $10 level subscriber to our Patreon. So thank you, John. John's comment is a high, high school classmate who's been a, a minor league manager for a long time says the pitch clock should stop when the pitcher comes set, speaking to Scott's stolen base comment, but no idea if that will get any traction. That would be a, a, a rules change of the rules change, I think. The, the way it's been implemented in the minor leagues is you have to pitch it uh, when the clock stops, you it's a ball. So yeah, I actually <laughs> that's a problem. I actually saw that that my, the pitch clock in the minors in real time like I, I was at a richmond flying squirrels game and which is the double a affiliate for the giants they play at the diamond which is where the richmond braves used to play and I, <laughs> I i think i mean the count just suddenly changed and no pitch had had happened and it was the, the hitter took too long or i think slowed it down if i recall correctly i don't, I don't remember all the oh, details wow. behind it but i saw i remember it remember <laughs> seeing it happen but that's an interesting idea john but one thing i think we can all agree on including john is that angel hernandez needs to get fired or the guy who called three balks in one inning on the marlins pitcher the other day eric Blyer, who had never yeah. balked before that was incredible and and i watched uh, the replay he definitely came set and the umpire still called it and three balks on one guy and one at bat equal to run for the Mets. So it's almost like that particular umpire was a Mets fan trying to get them over the Braves in the standings. And it still didn't work. Right. Marlon still won that game. All right. Well, we are almost out of time. Scott, why don't you give us a rundown of our Patreons? Obviously, we mentioned John Vestal. Thank you, John, for being here with us tonight and, and participating and commenting. You, too, can be a participant like John if you join us at patreon.com slash peachpundit and subscribe at the $10 level. The other patrons that we're very grateful for their financial support are Ryan Graham, Hunter Burnett, Ant Frost, Reed Powell, Benjamin Hurst, and Sam Thomas. One of these guys is going to come see Jason Pye's band in D.C. soon, I hear. Yeah, we're playing Friday. If you are in the D.C. area or Northern Virginia or even Maryland, you just don't drive in D.C. because Maryland drivers suck. Maryland drivers are the Alabama drivers of the of Mid-Atlantic. <laughs> just want to go on record and say that. So, but no, we're playing We're playing Friday night. The doors open at 8. Uh, we go on at 8.30. We're playing at a place called The Pockets up off North Capitol Avenue in Washington, D.C., we have a, uh, we're playing nothing but cover songs. It's a set list of 20 to 22 cover songs that ranges from everything uh, from the band Lit to the Foo Fighters to Green Day to Thrice, who is one of my favorite bands. And we even mix in some other radio hits that you undoubtedly will have heard. And if you come, you'll get to hear me sing a couple lines of uh, one song, or at least background vocals, I should say, and get to do a couple guitar solos. So good times there. But yeah, it's uh, September 30th, Friday night, eight doors open at eight. Come to the pocket in Washington, D.C. Scott? One last point before you close this out, and and that is I got the text message from somebody who said they really missed the video version of the podcast. And I'm sorry about that. The technical abilities for who we have here on staff, meaning me, it's it's really difficult to get the three of our faces using our current platform, which syncs up the audio perfectly and and allows me to edit it 
the other things like the ums and the uhs and the long pauses out. And when we misspeak, I can edit that out as well. But if you it, you miss our facial reactions to one another, you can join John at that ten dollar level. That's all I'm going to say. We would really appreciate it. I'm 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 just I'm just stunned that there's somebody out there who actually wants to see our faces. That blows my mind. Yeah, it blows my mind too, especially Scott's. All right, folks, have a good have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. I think it's just Scott, just Scott and I next week. We'll be up in DC, and I think we're going to record one in person. So, uh, have a good rest of your week. Take care. We'll see you soon.